Amen. Thank you, Billy. We're continuing through our study of Ephesians. We're getting near the end. We're getting close. We're not terribly far away from completing the study, uh, but we are continuing in the same vein that we've looked at the last few weeks where uh, Paul shares with the church in Ephesus uh, the gospel. He shares with them who Christ is and why Christ has come and died for us, the rescue that's found only in him. And now what he's doing in the latter half of Ephesians is he's laying out for us what it means to live that out, what it means to live out the trust and the faith we have in Christ and the redemption that we have in him. And he's been careful to tell us in chapter four of Ephesians what I think is the main thrust of the whole letter is he desires for Christians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which they've been called, that, that they would walk in a way that would be fitting of the sacrifice that Christ has made to rescue us from our sin. And what he's doing in chapter 4, 5, and 6 is he's helping flesh out what that walk looks like, what, what we as Christians should be walking towards, what we should look like as Christians. And so this morning he continues in that same vein that we've been looking at the last few weeks. We left off last week talking about the fact that we are to walk not in darkness, but we're to walk as children of light. And I believe what you see this morning in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 21, is you see what that walk looks like, what it means to walk as children of light. So I believe we see a connection between verse 8 to now verse 15 as he continues to expound. Now he's been doing that for several chapters, but, but here he continues especially with this distinction between living wisely and living unwisely. And he calls on Christians to live differently than the Gentiles do. And so this morning, I want to break this down for us. I hate to break it to you, but most of the verbs here in this text, in these verses, are imperatives. Does anybody know what an imperative is? It's a command. So I hate to break it to you, uh, Paul's not listing out suggestions for Christians. He is listing out commands of how Christians are to live. So for you and for me, we need to understand that God commands us to live in a way that is wise. Thankfully, he tells us what that looks like because he knew we'd need help with it. So look at me in verse 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So there are two ways to walk. Unwise or wise? You're welcome. All of my hard-earned time in the classroom has prevailed. There are two ways to walk, unwisely or wisely. And remember, throughout Ephesians, he's been pointing us to the fact that before we were in Christ, before we trust in him, we walk in darkness, unwisely. We don't have wisdom from God, and as such, we walk that way. We live that way. Remember, walk in this text is another way of saying live. So he's telling us, look carefully then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Remember what I read this morning from Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So you cannot live wisely apart from a fear of God. You cannot live wisely apart from a relationship through Christ. That's the only way we can live wisely. And he tells us distinctly, look carefully then how you walk. That means you got you to watch what steps you're making. 
Okay. Uh, imagine that the life we live is an open field and placed throughout the open field in places that are hard to see are little bitty mines. And I tell you that in order to get to where you're going, you have to walk through that field. You might imagine that the steps you take would be awfully careful. That you would look before every step you made just to see if there's anything you can make notice of before you step. This is how God says we are to live as Christians. That we live in a minefield, a spiritually dark world, filled with traps and filled with, with pits. And if we're going to live as God calls us to, we're going to have to do so very carefully. We can't just wing our way through this. We have to be intentional about how we walk. And by the way, that's a command. We are to look carefully how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now remember, he's talking to Christians, so you cannot walk wisely unless you're a Christian. Unless you know God, fear God, know his word, we cannot live wisely apart from him. And so I would say, if you're not a Christian today, what you need more than anything is not greater understanding of just truth. What you need today is to worship God. Christ, you need to fall before him and you need to beg his forgiveness for your sin and trust that his death on the cross was the payment for your sin, that he clothes you in his righteousness when we trust in the fact that only he can save us from our sin. Then you can walk wisely. But apart from that, we will walk unwisely. We need Christ to rescue us. Notice he describes the wise walk. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. You're called to walk as wise and to be careful as you do so. And one of the ways you walk as wise is making the best use of the time. This word actually means to redeem or to purchase out of. So think about this. Apart from God, these days that we live are filled with all types of evil. Every day is an opportunity to get into more mess. Every day is an opportunity to live unwisely and to be marked by darkness. Remember, we used to walk on that path, Ephesians chapter 2. You once were dead in your trespasses and sins and the ways you once walked according to after the power of the, the age, the prince of the power of the air, right? That, that we naturally walk in darkness. These days are filled with opportunities to walk after darkness. But guess what? In Christ, he says, you are able to make the most of the time. You are able to buy out of, purchase out of the days and actually make them fruitful as opposed to evil. Apart from Christ, these days are marked by evil. But guess what? As Christians, we can live wisely and carefully in such a way as to redeem the time. In such a way as to buy out of. That those days that used to be marked by slavery to sin now are marked by bonded servant life to Christ. That we can actually live for him. That Christ doesn't just redeem us, he redeems the day that we walk in. 
so that we can actually walk as wise in the midst of this world that is marked by unwise walking. The good news is these days can be redeemed for Christ. I I think about how many days I spent as a non-Christian. That's a lot of days. I spent a lot of days of my life living for me and what I thought was best for me. Every day now that I've been saved is a day that is redeemed, a day that I can spend living wisely for him. Why would I ever live unwisely? Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us this very thing in Psalm 90. Psalm 90, verse 12, the psalmist writes and says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. That we would live intentionally, knowing every day is a gift of God, every day is a day that can be used in service to Him. Teach us, God, to count our days and to use them purposefully. What is this? This is purposeful living. This is, this is living not as if we're just floating around, waiting for something else to happen, just waiting for Jesus to come back so we can go to heaven, but that we're living purposefully, every day redeeming the time, every day spending those moments that Christ has given us in service to him, no longer walking after darkness, but walking in the light. Hey, just one, just one. Just make me feel like I'm not by myself up here. Am I the only one who doesn't number my days right? Am I the only one who wastes days? Am I the only one? Just me? Okay. I heard one no, so that's good. That's, there's one honest person. So we walk wisely by making use, best use of the time because the days are evil. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish. So he's giving you an inference that comes off of what he just said. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what is the will, uh, what the will of the Lord is. So what Paul seems to be doing is describing what it means to make the best use of the time. What is the best, what is, how do you make the best use of the time? Understand what the will of the Lord is. That's the best use of the time. You're starting to live life thinking, what is the will of the Lord that I do? Let me help you real quick, right? I've been down this road before, but I'm going to do it again just for everyone's benefit, including my own. There are different ways that we use the term will of God in our lives. Some of them aren't true. Some of them are. Now, the Bible talks about the will of God, and sometimes when the Bible talks about the will of God, it means the sovereign will of God, his plan that he's going to accomplish, and no one can stop him from doing it. You with me? This, the will of God was that Jesus would die on the cross. Could anything stop that moment from happening? No. It was going to happen when God said it was going to happen. Those whom he said was going to do it were going to do it. Jesus was going to die on the cross. That is the sovereign will of God. Did you know in the Bible, God does not say it is our job to figure out what that is. He does not call you to figure out what his sovereign will is. That's for him to know and us to find out. You say that as a kid. His sovereign will is what belongs to the mind of God, and it's going to happen. Nothing can stop it. You with me? Then you have the will of God, which is his will of desire, which is that God desires that we not sin. God desires that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Here's a problem, though. Can we violate that? 
Yes, God's sovereign will is going to happen. You can't stop it. God's will of desire, we violate all the time. Because not everyone is saved. Not, everyone, not everyone's going to be redeemed. Some are going to perish. God desires that none perish, but some are going to. So his will of desire is something that we can actually violate. And we can actually disobey. And we are supposed to know his will of desire. As in, he tells us in his word how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live that out. And then the third one, which is not a biblical one, is God's will of direction, right? This is where we want to know where God wants us to move to, what job we're supposed to have, all those things. Did you know that in the Bible it doesn't say that we're supposed to figure that out? In fact, in the Bible it doesn't even say that's, that's a... We know God has a direction, but where in the Bible does it say we're supposed to solve all that before we do something? We don't. Christians kind of use that as a way to almost play the mystical, mystical Christianity, which is I gotta, I've told this story before. You got three doors, door one, door two, and door three. You better walk through the right one, otherwise God's going to strike you dead. Or you're going to live outside his blessing for the rest of your life. You ever done that? You stand there, you got to make a decision, and you're crippled. Which door do I walk through? If I go through door one, he's going to strike me down if I don't pick the right one. And a lot of Christians spend their lives trying to go, oh, what's God's will? Is it door one, two, or three? Crippled by it. Can't make decisions. Can't move forward. Here's what. God doesn't say we have to figure that out. What God says is, if you walk through door one, glorify his name. If you walk through door two, glorify his name. If you walk through door three, glorify his name. Whichever one you walk through, serve God. Now, if one of those doors is sinful, don't walk through it. Bible tells us that. But nowhere does God say, door one, two, or three, you better pick the right one, otherwise you're going to be lost forever. That would be a terrible way to live. And that's not a good God to follow. The one who holds everything like a secret and says, I hope you can figure it out, otherwise you're all going to perish. But the will of God here that he calls us to, that we would understand the will of God, we have that. God has told us in his word his will for our lives. It is to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. You want to know the will of God? Do those two things. And the key to living a wise life, the key to making the best use of the time, everybody, the key to not throw away and waste day after day is to ask ourselves, Am I loving God with everything I have? Am I loving my neighbor as myself? That's understanding. And before Christ, I didn't know any of that. So how did I walk? Unwisely. But now as a Christian, guess what you and I can do? We can actually read this. And God tells us how to walk. We're not out here bumping into stuff, hoping for the best. God tells us how we're to live wisely, and Paul says, redeem the time. Make the best use of every second you're given. And he tells us what that looks like. He tells us clearly, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The only way you're going to know it is to read it and to show up when we're teaching it and to listen. Make the best use of the time. Notice that he gives you a, a negative followed by a positive, and then he's going to do it again. He tells you what not to do what, or what to stop. Don't be foolish. Stop doing that. Stop being foolish. 
And instead of being foolish, understand what is the will of the Lord. Then he goes on and says, don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, just so you know, the Bible always warns us of excess. That sin is when we take some of God's good gifts and we use them to excess. You see it with gluttony. Food's not bad. Gluttony is. What is gluttony? An over-excessive indulgence in. Uh, we see it with money. Money's not bad. But greed is. Excessive overindulgence in something. Just so you know, wine falls into the same thing. Excessive indulgence in is viewed here as that which does not match the walk of the wise person. But instead of getting drunk or being controlled by wine, he says, because that's debauchery, that's where drunkenness is found, is in debauchery. He also goes on to say, be filled with the Spirit. So you have two, you have an unwise and you have a wise. Unwise is being drunk with wine, debauchery. The wise is to be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so we're talking about two fillings. Being filled with wine or being filled with the Spirit. Just so you know, this means controlled by. The idea of filling here in this context is the idea of what are you controlled by. And we as Christians are to find ourselves under the control of the Spirit. And listen, we don't do that perfectly every time, do we? But being filled with the Spirit is not some extra thing that we just don't have. Being filled with the Spirit is not a one-time thing either. According to this, it's a present imperative, which means it's a command that you continually live out. So what this tells us is that the filling of the Holy Spirit mentioned here happens continuously. Because just so you know, we don't always live under the control of the Spirit. Sometimes we begin to want to drift off into our own but we're called to be controlled by the Spirit. We've been given the Spirit of God so that we can live wisely under His control, not under the control of some other substance. And here he says that wise living is found in making the most of the time. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Be filled, be controlled by the Spirit and then we see the results of being filled with the Spirit. Here's what, here's what pours out of the person who is Spirit-controlled. And by the way, this is not for super-Christians. This is something everyone is supposed to do. This is not simply for super-Christians. Everyone is called to be filled with the Spirit. So what flows out of that? Number one, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. What's one of the results of being filled with the Spirit? Song. Speaking it and singing it. He says, address one another 
or speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now listen, I've seen a lot of theologians who have broke down all three of those words and said what they're different about each of them. I don't know that there's a major difference between them. It's basically just if you're spirit-controlled, song will leap from your life. You will praise God, whether you're speaking it or you're singing it out loud. That part of being spirit-controlled is a worship of God. And I want you to notice this is not just individual worship. The spirit-controlled life is not lived in isolation. It is also lived in community with other Christians. He says, uh, uh, he said, well, let me say it exactly as it says here, addressing one another. So this is something we do as a community. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the great preachers, said the spirit-filled life isn't measured simply by our private morality or even by one's private spiritual experience but by how one conducts himself or herself with other persons. That means in order to live a spirit-filled life, you're going to have to be around other Christians. And when you're around other Christians, you're going to have to address them with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now that, tells, that helps me because that tells me there's a whole bunch of different kind of music out there. And you may not like all of it. But as long as it lifts up Christ, as long as it reveres the name of God, guess what? Let's sing it. Woo! Should I, should I ease up? Should I ease up a little bit? Listen, when you sing a hymn, make sure that hymn lifts up God's name. Make sure it teaches you that he's glorious and beautiful. Make sure everything that comes out of that. Listen, I love hymns. I love me some hymns. Come thou fount. I will tear that thing up singing it. You should catch me in my car doing that. Mmm. But not every hymn lifts up the name of Christ. Some of them do have erroneous theology in them, and we got to be careful. But if it lifts up the name of Jesus, guess what? Sing it. Just so you know, there's some common day songs right now that I wouldn't play in my car to save my life. There are some Christian songs out there right now that I would not ever play in my car because I think they're gibberish. And I think they sing all about themselves. Me, me, I, 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 look at me, look at me, look at me. God, aren't you glad you got me? I, I don't need to sing that. But there are some good songs out right now that just came out that make much of Christ. And they praise the beauty of his name. Guess what? If it lifts up the name of God, what should we do? Sing it. And what this means is that there's always going to be songs to come. Do you know, you know, 200 years from now, they're going to be looking back at us old fogies and looking at what we sang. You're going to be like, can you believe those people? Those old, wretched songs they used to sing. Address each other with psalms. Right, the Psalms of the, of the Bible. The Psalms are in there to be spoken and to be sang. Address each other with Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Anything that points us to the beauty of God, let's sing it. And we address each other with those things because why? It leads us to walk after Him. And I'm grateful for all those things. I'm grateful for the old ones. I'm grateful for the new ones. As long as they lift up the name of Jesus, I'm so grateful to sing them. In fact, a couple of the boys caught me on Wednesday night, right? They came up to my, I was sitting in my car. It was about 6.30, and I was jamming out because I'm preparing for a special music I'm going to do here in a couple weeks. 
He knows my name. I found it. And I'm going to sing it. And I was in my car just, I was singing the mess out of this song. I want you to know. I mean, I could have charged money for what was going on in there. And while I was at the crescendo, I was at the, the final spot, right? The, the key driving at home part. And the boys came up and knocked on my window. They knew music was going on in there. They didn't know what was happening. You know what I did? I'll tell you. I just rolled down my window and just sang my guts out. And they didn't know what to do. They started to leave. They're like, oh, I don't know if I can be here anymore. But guess what? We stir each other with that. The psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs that remind us of the goodness of God and his greatness. We sing them to each other. And we do that together. We can't just do that by ourselves. We're called to speak to each other. That's a, that's a spirit-filled life that does that. And by the way, the spirit-filled life is just the regular Christian life. It's not, not like, well, some people live a spirit-filled life and others just live a natural life. No. If you're a Christian, you live a spiritual, a spirit-filled life. That's a normal Christian walk. He says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? Listen, uh, you're shaking your head no. Yes, it is. There are some days, I'll be honest with you, there are some days I don't feel like singing nothing. I hate to break it to you, there are some days I don't feel like singing a thing. But guess what? Every day, every moment is a chance to praise the reverent name of God, no matter the circumstances. And I have to be reminded of that because some days I don't feel like it. And I got to be reminded of Acts 16. Y'all remember Acts 16? We're going to cover it on Wednesday night in a few weeks. But Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in a prison in Philippi. They've been beaten. They've been locked up in prison. Their feet have been fastened with stocks so they couldn't move their legs. They'd been weary from traveling. And at midnight, they were thrown into a prison. And what we see in Acts chapter 16 is at midnight, Paul and Silas are found doing something really weird. What are they doing? They're singing hymns and praising God in the middle of the prison. What's Paul doing? He is living out what he's talking about. He's not saying you all do this. He's saying this is what I do. Admonish each other. Not admonish, but he says address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melodies of the Lord with your heart. And there is no circumstance where we shouldn't do this. Even beaten in a prison with your legs fastened in stocks, tired, weary, in the middle of the night, guess what they're found doing? Praising God. Address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Kent Hughes says, spirit-filled people overflow in song. Oh, that we would do that. Oh, oh, that we would... Sing his praises every day. Number two, he tells us not only do we address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, but he says we are to give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Paul, for making sure that you didn't leave any wiggle room. He says give thanks for what? Everything and how often? Always. Always and for everything to God the Father you are to give thanks. That's the natural flow of the heart of someone who is spirit-controlled, someone who is spirit-filled. Thanksgiving, not bitterness, not complaining, 
not animosity, not slander, but thanksgiving to God, even for the difficulties we walk through. John Piper says, how can we not be thankful when we owe everything to God? The mark of one who is spirit-filled is there is a great thanksgiving for everything God has given and always it's a constant refrain of our lives. And number three, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a voluntary submission. This is, this is making much of others and not myself. God calls us as Christians who are spirit-filled to submit ourselves to one another. A theologian, H.C.G. Moule, said this, the primary point in the gospel is humiliation. Self is dethroned as against God and consequently as against man. The central theme of the gospel is a lowering of ourselves and an exaltation of God. And what Paul tells us here in Ephesians is that if you're a spirit-filled Christian, you should submit yourselves to one another. Not demanding it go your way. Not me sitting up here as pastor going, it better be my way or the highway. But submitting ourselves to one another. Saying, what is good for my brother or sister in Christ? Because it's not about me. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about submitting ourselves for one another. And that only happens in a spirit-filled Christian. You know, we can't do that on our own. We can't just wake up one day and go, you know what? I'm going to think of other people more than myself. God has to change our selfish hearts and give us new hearts that love him more than us. And when he does, guess what we can do? Pour ourselves out for each other. Love each other more than we love ourselves. Oh, the good news of what Christ has done. Paul tells us walk wisely. Don't walk as unwisely. And the way you walk wisely is understanding the will of God, redeeming every moment for him, singing songs to each other, giving thanksgiving to God for everything he's done and submitting ourselves to one another. If we do that as a church, people will see something is wrong with those folks. God must have done something in their lives to take selfish people and make them love each other and God that much. Christians in the room, these are all things we can do right now. We're not waiting for something else. All we have to do is just ask God to, to have his spirit do work in our hearts. We already have the Spirit, but it's, it's being controlled by Him in everything. And asking God to cause us to love Him more than our own selfish wants and desires. But listen, if you're in this room and you're not a Christian, you can't walk wisely according to these verses. You must know Jesus. If you're not a Christian, the Bible says that you are against God. And that apart from trusting in Christ, you are destined 
to feel nothing but the wrath of God and not his grace. And I don't want that for any of you. I don't want anyone in this room to perish. I don't want anyone in this room to find themselves like we see in Matthew chapter 7. Didn't I do this for you, God? Didn't I do this for you? And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. I don't want that to ever be the case. I want everyone in this room to know that they are sinners who deserve the punishment of death, spiritual death, but to know that God loved us enough that he sent his son to die in our place, that Jesus would take our spot, he would take the wrath of God upon himself for our sin, and he would exchange places with us. He would die in our place, and when he's raised again to new life, so too can we if we're in Christ, that we could be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, no longer marked by our sin, but instead viewed as perfect before God. You need that as a sinner. And my goal for you this morning is not that you would just understand some things about God's word, but that you would trust Christ. You would bow before him and, and ask him to forgive you of your sin and that his death on the cross might count for you. And Christians in the room, let's walk wisely. Let's redeem every moment of every day, living it for the Lord, understanding his will, reading his word, trusting his truth, and living it out. And let us be filled with the Spirit every day, singing to one another, praising the name of God, being thankful for everything God has given us, and submitting ourselves to each other. Let's do that because that is where real joy is is found. Christ deserves nothing less than all of us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you for your word that sometimes is hard. God, sometimes your word really confronts and really convicts. And God, I pray this morning that everyone who has heard the sound of my voice, I pray, Lord, that they know you as Lord and Savior. And if they don't, that today, God, you might show them so clearly that they are sinners who are accountable to you and deserve your wrath for their sin. But God, I pray they'll also see that even in the midst of their desperate condition, that you are ultimately gracious to us. That you sent your son to die in our place so that we might be forgiven. And Father, I pray you will draw people to yourself. You will show them their desperate need for forgiveness. And God, that you would draw them, that they might fall before you, confess their sin, and put their trust completely in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that he paid the debt we owed. So Father, I pray you'll change their hearts, give them a love for you. And Father, as Christians in the room, I pray you would help us to walk not unwisely, but wisely understanding your will, Father, knowing you have told us how we're to live, that, God, we might cherish every day and live it purposefully, knowing that every day is a gift from your hand, that we might walk wisely, understanding your will and living it out everywhere we go. And, Father, help us to be spirit-filled, to be controlled by your spirit, God, not stepping back into the things of the world, but being controlled by your spirit because he is power. And Father, that we might walk after you, addressing each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, giving thanks always and for everything 
and submitting ourselves to each other. Not so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, look how great we are. But so we can glorify you in a lost world that doesn't know what you look like. Oh God, help us as Christians to live wisely so that people might be drawn to you and they might trust in you. God, God in our church, help us all to walk wisely because you deserve nothing less. Oh Lord, in this moment when we respond to you, whether it's in our seat or whether it's up front in these steps, God, I pray that you will cause us to pour out our hearts to you. God, if we've sinned, we'll put it before you and we'll, we'll ask the blood of Christ to cover it. And Lord, that you might stir up in our hearts a deep love for you and for your people. God, do it this morning. Help us to respond to you, not to walk out these doors the same way we walked in, but to be changed by your word. I ask you to do this by your own spirit's working. And we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.